0: This episode, Salim and Justin are joining me again from Tokyo. Uh, not too many people are traveling anywhere these days, and I, I do hope that one day um, we will do this in person, guys. But until <laughs> then, we're going to do it through Zoom like we always have. Welcome back, guys. Thank you. Good to be back.
1: And i um, really looking forward to the day that we can actually do this in person. That will be amazing.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, same here. So positive intelligence... We're gonna we're gonna talk about that. We each did some. We did the survey, um, and for those that want to actually pause this and maybe have a little bit more to relate to, I invite you to go to positiveintelligence.com and take the free saboteur assessment, which. Um, would allow you to actually think about your own saboteurs, and we'll get into that as you listen to this episode. So feel free to go back and and do that. Each of us have done this assessment. We've chatted about it a little bit back and forth, read a little bit of the book by Shirzad Shemaine, um, which I actually have a hard copy of it now. And then we're going to talk a, a little bit about Think Week, Bill Bill Gates takes a think week every year, and I find that very interesting, some of the concepts behind that, and it dovetails, I think, quite nicely with the positive intelligence conversation. And then we'll finish up with uh, an interesting or strange news story. But before we do that, quick Olympics update. And of course, when these recordings come out, they tend to be a, f- a couple weeks, sometimes longer, after... W- after when they actually hit the airwaves from the time we talk about it. But can you guys share a little bit of insight around the whole ramp up to the Olympics? As of this recording, it's, what, four weeks away? Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, yeah. We're exactly 28 days away, so four weeks away from uh, the opening ceremony. So I guess people can uh, can figure out how long it takes you to edit an episode and, and put it
0: up. <laughs> that's right, yeah. So, you know, from the, a local perspective... Um, would be interesting just hearing a little bit about what you guys are seeing from your side as this ramps up for the from the outside japan perspective we do hear a lot about how most japanese people don't want these olympics to happen um the vaccination rate is pretty low although i hear it's ramping up what's what's the inside scoop you guys can share about the ramp up to the olympics justin you want to go
2: Yeah, sure. I'll jump in real quick. So, take it from a couple quick angles. Last time we spoke about this on the podcast, we were discussing it from the angle of would this even happen? And we were both leaning on the side of, yeah, most definitely it's going to happen. There's a lot riding on it business wise and a lot of different organizations like Dentsu, the big advertising and marketing firm that has a lot sunk into this. And now we're at the point where it's more about logistics and about getting things set up. So, you know, once the bureaucracy bureaucracy machine gets in full motion here, there's kind of no stopping it. So when it it comes to things like uh, defining the routes that the buses will take and the alternate routes that regular commuters and drivers will take, all that stuff, the signage and everything else is going up. And it's almost like, well, look, you know, we put up the party streamers, we have to throw a party. So at this point, I think we're full on, you know, 100% all in, this is gonna happen. So logistic things like spectators, which they're still kind of defining what that's going to look like, what the max numbers are going to look like, whether or not that's going to happen. There was some speculation as to whether or not people who had gotten the tickets in the lottery, whether they'd have to do a new lottery to see which of those people would be Mm. able to attend events because the spectator numbers are lower. But it looks like there's enough. Of those tickets that were allocated for people outside of Japan, since it's only domestic spectators that are going to be going, that most of the events, they're already telling people that if the events will have spectators, your tickets will be valid. So they won't have to go through a whole fresh round of lottery to see whether or not they're going to be going in. Uh, There have been multiple athletes who've recently arrived that did have COVID and they've had to quarantine and uh, some on the same team. I had not heard that. As well. So... Um, there's that part of it. There's also the part of it that uh some towns have pulled out of of hosting. Um at first it was more the the social aspect of them being able to be part of the community and the community meeting these athletes from these different countries. And some of these are countries that those cities have uh reciprocal relationships with. They've had some kind of relationship with um in some form of commerce or tourism, uh, over the years. So it's, it's a bit challenging from an optics standpoint, even to maintain, uh, the hosting them because there's such an intense need to maintain a bubble whenever they are hosting them. So there's that, all that additional cost, uh, as well. So it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a shell game as to figuring out where all these athletes are going to be practicing and, and getting ready for their actual events. But uh, as it stands, it's, it's full steam ahead. And and I'd say that most folks are, are not really looking forward to it too much. Um, and
0: then dovetailing that into the vaccinations. Is it the community of Japan or is it more Japanese people that don't want the Olympics to happen? Well, it's, it was
2: overwhelmingly Japanese. But, I mean, Salim, you've probably seen some of the surveys as well. Maybe you could speak a little bit more to this if you've noticed anything.
1: Yeah, I mean, well... The expat community is is tiny here, right? Um, right. I mean, I think that like Japan is ninety eight percent like ethnic Japanese, just pure Japanese, and and two percent from from all others. So um, right there's not there's not a lot of statistics or not a lot of information that comes out of uh, the expat community or non Japanese communities within Japan. But what I can say is, yeah, it's Overwhelmingly, the country uh, and the people don't want the Olympics to to go ahead. Um, some senior uh, health officials have also said that okay, the Olympics are happening. Um, the least worst um, scenario is to just do it, not have any spectators come in, uh, and you know just just. Get it get it done, uh, but the government is um has gone ahead and approved having i think latest information we have is like um up to up to ten thousand or fifty percent of the uh, arena or stadium limit, whichever is uh smaller mm. um that's that's the latest I've heard but yeah it's 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 full steam ahead it's gonna go
0: through and uh, we're just gonna have to see what happens. Well, I'm glad I didn't put money on it because I know I was in the camp of this isn't going to happen <laughs> six weeks ago, maybe now. But uh, uh, one quick thing before we move on, what was the sentiment about having these Olympics before COVID? Like, my guess is there's there was probably a, pers- a good percentage of people that did not want the Olympics at all, regardless of COVID. Am I right with that? Or Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's... Um... It's a, it's a massive
1: drain on the public purse. It's it's super expensive, and uh, PR wise, obviously, the government wanted to to have this Olympics. It's it's a source of na- source of national pride. Uh, in in a sense, it's uh, it was a message message from the government saying Japan is is back, kind of, after, uh, well, still. It's it's still the case where the economy is fairly stagnant, but uh, it's just a me- a message to to the world saying Japan is back here. Like here we are, and uh, but from a, a regular person's perspective, right, as a taxpayer, thinking we have this event where tons of people come, it doesn't. Uh, it's it's a it's a drain on uh, you know on the public purse. Uh, it's, it's all tax, tax a lot of it is taxpayer funded. And, uh, you know, if you're, if you live in Tokyo and it's, it's just a, an absolute nightmare, like back, back before COVID you, on, in, in your regular, on, on any regular day, you know, with all the, with all the tourists that, um, that were around, things are pretty crowded, right? I mean, uh, you, you don't, you don't need, in fact, the, the tourists just really add to the, add, you know, add to it but um imagine having you know tens of or hundreds of thousands of people come you know coming in, in into tokyo at the same time for the olympics it was just going to be an absolute nightmare for for yeah. regular people living here and you know trying to go to work and trying to get things done so um yeah there, I, I think there was a
0: there's quite a bit of opposition even before covid um, it just made me think it's it's a bit tough like it's easy to just say well oh, guys you know come on to planet earth here and You're not going to have the event. It's insane to think you're going to do this event. Just move on. However, if you were as invested in the Olympics as the people that have organized this thing, I think there's going to be a real we did it thing Mm -hmm. to this like and I wouldn't be surprised if that becomes a slogan of some type you know for sure like yeah yeah. so
2: well don't forget about the optics of China being the next Olympics so if China were to hold an Mm -hmm. Olympics in 22 that goes off swimmingly and Japan has to cancel or not actually have the Olympics the optics of that from a national pride standpoint and from some of the regional Tension uh, is probably not ideal from a Japanese political perspective yeah. either. And isn't it like early 22 as well? It's
1: like, um, it's, yeah, like it's the winter. January or February or, February or something, February, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's only a few months yeah. away. So imagine right. for, for the Japanese government, it's like not having an, a, the Summer Olympics now. And then just a few months later, the world descends on, on China uh, for, for, the, for the Winter Olympics and, and they hail it as a massive success.
0: Well, back to my comment then about timing. You know, in a way, Beijing may actually end up being the perfect timing for where we'll be in the world with all of this. Yeah. Um, That that Tokyo just simply can't afford to wait that long. It just can't wait that long. There's millions of reasons why, logistics, all that stuff. But, and even just backing it up to how close the next set of the next Olympics are. So, okay. Well, let's talk about positive intelligence, you know, we're always looking for topics to discuss on the podcast. And I I came across the positive intelligence, or PQ for short, I came across it through uh, someone I know who had um, gone through this course, uh, maybe a year ago. And I was immediately hooked in terms of what it was saying, you know, uh, and I'll just give a little bit of an overview of it. So, Shirzad Shemaine is the creator of this, uh, not the creator of positive motivation or positive thinking. That's not his creation at all. That's been around for a while. That that positive thinking movement. Uh, but what he's what he's created is a program around positive intelligence. And to cut right into what it is is. Each of us has these saboteurs that cause stress, all of our stress, our anxiety, uh, self-doubt, frustration, regret, shame, unhappiness, guilt. (laughs) Hopefully we're not tensing up as we hear those words, but maybe we are. Um, And that these saboteurs are all, all different types. There's nine of them. And he's, he's called them, uh, the, 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 the chief one is called the judge, um, and then there's the controller, the avoider, the victim, the stickler, and five other saboteurs that are constantly operating to sabotage you. And at one time, these were strengths or, or things that were meant to protect you, like in early childhood – one of the things they say in the book is the first 16 years of your life, these, these saboteurs, these things that are cr- causing you to be hypervigilant, um, you know, so that you don't get eaten by a tiger, all had a purpose when you were in the first 16 years of your life. Uh, they call it the survival brain. Um, but as we pass into adulthood and 2021, modern times a lot of these saboteurs are not useful to us they, they don't we don't need life-saving sabot, saboteurs to come in and and protect us so the, the flip side of it is something called your sage which lives in an entirely different region of the brain handles challenges in ways that produce positive emotions so you know in opposite to those other ones i mentioned things like curiosity Empathy, creativity, calm, clear-headed, laser-focused action is the job of the sage. And by focusing more on sage characteristics, you're more likely to be better, feel better, perform better, be happier, etc. So, we, we each took this assessment. The positive Positiveintelligence.com has the assessment about identifying our saboteurs. I was not surprised by the results that I got of what my top saboteurs were. Uh, so, when you do the assessment, you'll get, you'll get a ranking of your saboteurs from, from top to bottom, and you'll get a score beside each. And looking at the three of our assessments, we each, we each have some different saboteurs that, that rank up there. And the scoring for each also differs across the board. So, what I wanted to do was talk about any surprises in terms of what you saw in the results, any insights you gained from what you saw in the results. Then we can maybe unpack it a little bit from there and move into that Think Week that we were talking about earlier. How does that sound? That sounds good. Justin, you want to go? That sounds good to me. Yeah. Yeah, Justin, you want to kick it off?
2: Yeah, I'll kick off. Yeah, I'm quite familiar with a lot of personality profilers, both because of my work previously doing consulting work and now on the executive search side and supporting people and organizations whenever they are bringing people on board. And a lot of different companies have variations of personality profilers. Never quite like this. This one's a bit different. Comes at it from a slightly different angle and definitely is more from the, the side of of identifying and working with and working through an improvement, and with that in mind, taking any survey like this, I'm I'm going to come at it from the angle of 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 that of my previous experience. So there's a there's a, a healthy amount of of kind of taking the you know thirty thousand foot view uh, when the questions are are coming in and and maybe seeing where the angles are are headed for with some of the questions so does that skew my results maybe maybe it does or mm-hmm. maybe that's just partly my personality which is which is part of what's <laughs> what this thing is actually also assessing um for, for my results uh, i was not surprised i wasn't too high or too low um the thing that i was low on which is the hyperachiever one i wasn't surprised because i kind of saw the the angles that those questions were going at and we could probably dive into that a little bit later especially since hyperachiever was kind of at the opposite end of the spectrum for for clark um closer to the top for you um,
0: yeah and and just um that's a good point, and and hyperachiever, yeah, it's one of the saboteurs, and we'll we'll get into a little bit to the definitions of these as we go. But um, the the one thing for me is it shone a light on things mm. I didn't really think about before. Example: mm. the hyperachiever is my number two saboteur. Mm. Um, but let me go back to you. C- continue.
2: Yeah, I, I think that it actually—it's a—it the most value that it has, in my, from my perspective, is just taking a step back, seeing some of the things of my own self perception, and perhaps considering what some of the perception of others may be of me based on some of these these saboteurs, and how much of these elements apply. If it's on a scale of one to ten, and something is my highest rated saboteur at seven point five, then obviously not every characteristic of the saboteur is going to ring true for me. That's natural. Um, maybe even in the same way, if Clark, for example, has something that's at a 10, doesn't necessarily mean that everything that's within that saboteur is still going to be reflected as accurate for him either. But, um, I do give uh, him credit for putting together this, this scale and for putting together in this way. uh, I think it, it's quite good and overlaps quite well with the book and some of, uh, the expanding thoughts. I do have some, some challenging parts of, of how, of his writing. I think Salim, you kind of expressed this in a private prior comment, but I have some challenges with some of his writing just from the standpoint of it's, it's, um, it's pushing along a narrative in some cases in the writing. And I'm not so certain that it's as objective in some cases where it's allowing for the reader or the learner to approach it from the angle of maybe their own experience. And it could be very specific to maybe some hard lessons or hard examples that he's trying to provide. And they don't really feel so, So flexible, it seems more about like sticking to the core of the narrative. So that, that was a little bit challenging for me, but I haven't sat with it as long as you have Clark. And, you know, I'm obviously interested in hearing a little bit more of your insights and your experience with the course as well, uh, because my experience is very high level at this point.
0: Yeah, and that's a good point, because my experience with this material has actually been less about the book itself and more right. about how it's presented through the course and the, the app. There is a companion app to this. When okay. you when you do the course, you get an app that puts you through some exercises, and and he has a video each week that he does, and he, he talks about this. But it's, it's not – the book is meant to be there as a – you're supposed to read the first eight chapters to, to coincide with the course – Hyper vigilant was your number one right. saboteur. And let me just I'll read out the quick definition of the hypervigilant, just so people listening know what that means. So the hyper vigilant and you scored seven point five. This the hypervigilant makes you feel intense and continuous anxiety about all the dangers surrounding you and what could go wrong. It is constantly vigilant and can never rest. It results in a great deal of ongoing stress. That wears you and others down. Its lie is, and this is what I like, is he always talks about the lie, the what the saboteur is lying. You know, the lie of the, this particular saboteur. The lie is that the dangers around you are bigger than they actually are, and that nonstop vigilance is the best way to tackle them. So this, the example he uses, is this is like the guy who's been assigned to watch, keep keep watch over the village. And every rustling in the bushes could be a tiger, and he's you know start. Oh my God! There's danger. There's danger. That's the the example of where this served mm-hmm. or didn't serve. Because that would even in the old days to be screaming about a tiger coming every five minutes because he sees leaves blowing in the wind is super dangerous. The right? boy who People cried tiger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So mm-hmm. what? What about that? Any of that definition? applies to you Justin yeah I mean it's pretty broad Um, there was a
2: piece that I did feel some identification with just from the standpoint of some sensitivity to signals Um, so I'm I have high level empathy uh, and a tendency to pick up on a lot of things not just obviously from my immediate surrounding and people around me but uh, in general and that's partly what makes me a pretty effective uh, listener as well Mm the, this maybe is kind of jumping right into the benefits in a way. Um, but what rings true to me is kind of that element. Um, there is some anxiety. Uh, I don't find that it is the continuous intense anxiety that they defined it as, uh, nor a constant expectation of mishap or danger, because that, that assumes that it's always, it's always from the angle of the dangers. Um, I've, found ways to kind of harness this energy or this saboteur in some ways to, um, better understand or observe situations and be able to kind of step outside of myself or step outside of the situation. So I'm not, um, going through that angle. Uh, I do have the tendency to have more of a self dialogue and not the crying wolf part. So um, that then means that am I burdening myself with worry or anxiety or observations that are unrealistic? It does kind of somewhat um, touch on the whole, uh, how it can be a great deal of energy that is spent that can otherwise be put to, put to good use. And yeah, that's that's absolutely uh, accurate. I think if you're in a, in a mode of, of kind of hypervigilance, Quite frequently, it's almost like you're in a fight or flight mode. Uh, you're you're spending mm-hmm. way too much energy uh, in trying to figure out um, and assess what the danger is in a situation and whether or not it needs to be acted on, uh, instead of being in the moment or living your life, for that matter.
0: I want to ask you something about uh, you know when I look at the definition a little deeper, and I do like uh, in the, further into the book he talks about the these how they what the thoughts, what the feelings are of this, this character. And I'm thinking about I know I've known you Justin for about three years, I guess, right. close to four. And of course, when I, whenever someone gets the results and, and you're waiting to hear what they are, you're gonna, you're gonna think about it. me, for example, will think about what your results might be just on the, the basis of how well I know you. Which mm-hmm. we could argue isn't all that well, uh, to a large degree, right? I mean, it's not been that long, and, but we've spent a lot of time together, but I, I've, I do find it interesting when I'll tell someone that avoider is my number one tendency, there are people that will say to me, really? I mm-hmm. don't see you as an avoider. Mm-hmm. But others will say, oh, yeah, I could see that, like my <laughs> wife, for example. <laughs> so, like someone, obviously, who should know me more than the average person. Um, so, when I think about you, and I read through some of this, suspicious of what others are up to, expectation that people will mess up, is that, is there anything in there? Because I've seen a couple times where you have, for instance, People of political ambition. I remember you get your you perk up on on that, and I wonder if that's a little bit of this saboteur coming up. That any time someone mentions political so, ambitions, you you tend to get your your back up a little bit. So
2: okay, so yeah, I did find this interesting. So the 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 might seek reassurance and guidance and procedures, rules, authorities and institutions, and kind of tying that to the suspicious of what other people are up to. So, you know, kids cover your ears, but that's fucking bullshit. <laughs> so, um, I have a healthy skepticism around authorities. I don't seek reassurance in rules and authorities. Um, okay. I'm actually much more from the side of, of, um, I've met enough <laughs> politicians and people in these kinds of positions to have a healthy skepticism as to anything that's emitting from their mouth and what they're trying to do in terms of hmm. representing the broader interest versus their own. Um, so from a suspicions of what others are up to, yeah, I've, I've always had a healthy suspicion of, uh, of people in unchecked, powerful positions or positions that, that had little to no um, oversight. Uh, with them. So that side of things, there's definitely a hypervigilance. There's, there's definitely a, a, a ex- extreme skepticism or even cynicism, I think is one of the words that they, they alluded to as well uh, in the judge uh, definition. Mm-hmm. But uh, in terms of, in terms of thinking that people might mess up, um, no, I, I think I generally assume that we're all going to mess up, <laughs> that we're all going to learn, learn from these things. I don't really, I don't really Think of uh, vigilance, and from that standpoint, um, I try to okay. be there to support and encourage. If anything,
0: okay. The vigilant one showed up for me. It was number three. It's uh, and for Ju- for Salim, you you had it. Sc- it was number four for me. Sc- scored as four, and it was a five in terms. So each each one is ranked. It's ranked, but then you get a score beside it saying how strong it is. So. For for you, Justin, it was a seven point five. Celine, it was a a five, and for me, it was a six point nine. So it's fairly high up there. Hmm. Um, I I definitely I would connect with you on the anxiety aspect. Like, it definitely creates some anxiety, but I would say a lot of this doesn't uh, doesn't really resonate for me. Um, What about you, Celine, on vigilance? Like, does any of that? come through it's you were low well, fairly low score yeah five, yeah i or? mean because because
1: i got the five out of ten so it's probably I, I guess we can assume that that means uh, somewhere in the middle so if um the definition is um you know always anxious i guess for me then it's sometimes anxious <laughs> <laughs> right. uh and and that's kinda of, i guess it's kind of true Um uh, i i have a, a I, I do have uh as 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 with Justin, uh, a healthy suspicion of uh, of people with who have who may not have the the right motives to do certain things. Um, I had a healthy suspicion of uh, the author of this book. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Justin uh, uh, said it a little bit more eloquently, but for me, it was just there. there was something about how he was, <laughs> uh, you know, trying to really sell his uh, his theory here that just really kind of bugged me i was like okay mm. I, I get it it's a it's an interesting you've got an interesting thing going here I, I i like your theory very good but you're overselling it like you don't need to you don't need to go that extra mile to to tell me that this is you know this is the way to go like this is what's going to ch- change your life i'm, I'm fairly skeptical mm-hmm. of those messages and um so i guess there is, um, there's my bit of hyper-vigilance.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's, uh, the, the rational one though, Justin, the hyper-rational score is a uh, pretty high up there for you. Does, does some more of that, the ones in there resonate? So the description is intense and exclusive focus on the rational processing of everything, including relationships can be perceived as cold, distant, and intellectually arrogant. Absolutely rings true.
2: I, I, I think you're all beneath me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is my podcast. <laughs> Says you. <laughs> Although it's your Zoom. You're you're hosting us through Zoom, so you could always push the leave button. And, uh, well, no, I think we would still stay here. Anyway, if I leave, that would really screw us up. So. Well,
2: I mean, you know, there is, there is a very popular TV show on right now called Loki, uh, based off of one of the characters from the Marvel Universe. And if there's anyone who can consider themselves extremely intellectually arrogant, it would be Loki. (laughs) Now to answer your question, since this is your podcast. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I I would say the, the intense and active mind part uh, can definitely ring true and the private and not letting some people into my deeper feelings part definitely can ring true. I'm a fairly private person about a lot of things that I keep people at arm's length about until there's the avenue for having the discussion, and and I will be very willing to to dive into very honest and open uh, experiences, feelings, and and maybe even um, uh, plans that I may have around some of those very in- intensely private things. But again, because this is the the, um, the I'm middle of the road. For some of these these topics, and you know, I don't know if that's just my personality, my approach. Uh, you know, my, my I, I am a Libra, <laughs> so you know, I've I've always found it kind of interesting that I have lived a lot of my life with a relative amount of balance. Uh, I'm also my name Justin means justice, the balance of
0: mm.
2: oneself and of of uh, of justice in itself. So, I, I don't know if I'm living my name, living my, my, my birth month, or, or if it's just a a piece of, of how I, of how I grew up in, in, in an environment. And this kind of goes into what you were saying before, how the saboteurs are oftentimes informed by a lot of our experiences from, I think you said zero to 16. I would definitely say that yeah, there's pieces of this. Uh, there's pieces of this in, in also the hypervigilant part. The hypervigilant part specifically says hypervigilant often comes from early experiences where the source of safety and security, parentheses, parental figure, was an unpredictable and unreliable. And there were pieces of that. My relationship with my my father was very, very challenging. Mm. So I would say that there's definitely pieces. So here I am, you know, not being private. <laughs> and and sharing something that I believe is a, a, a definitely a foundational piece of why some of that anxiety and why some of that hypervigilance exists in how I still approach certain things and how I perceive danger or how I may perceive the need to observe or be, be vigilant around dangers. Um, it definitely is, is Based on some experiences uh, early on with with parental figure, and then from a hyper rational standpoint, there are certain things that uh, were definitely very much um, modeled from from the same person, from my father as well. That there were there were things that were you know very much about the rational, and very very like for him, it was very much about the cold side of things because he grew up in in a really tough environment, really really tough environment with his own parents, so. I'm not saying that it repeated itself in a mirror image. There's obviously from generation to generation, um, one would hope you're improving upon certain things. And thankfully he had my mother who, who put a lot of work into trying to, to have a healthy parenting relationship with myself and relationship with him and to also give him the opportunity to, to, to develop and to grow. And, you know, later on in his life, now we have a very close relationship and I'm very fortunate for that, but looking back on it and, and reading these, these different pieces, these are all things that, you know, I've done the work, he's done the work, we've done the work as a family to kind of work through some of this stuff. And it doesn't feel as familiar as maybe it once might have, but it's definitely there. It's, it's, it's an underlying piece of, of how I was raised and and maybe even how I related with other people to a certain point until I started doing the work on myself and recognizing these behaviors and recognizing some of these things. So I think maybe if you go back 10, 15 years ago, maybe some of these things would rate much, much higher.
0: Hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that. That was, uh, it, it, for, I really appreciate you sharing the personal aspects of, of that. And um, he does say in the material that, The worst of childhoods can totally be a factor, but also there is no childhood that won't have this development of the saboteurs, because nobody's perfect, Um, no situation is perfect, so even the most loving parents, you're still going to have elements of these saboteurs that get created, um, no matter how protective, or how... Because there's a whole bunch that we can get into, but um, the best of childhoods still have a saboteur development in it. Um, So, that's important to note that although a lot of this is rooted in childhood, it isn't necessarily because you had, you know, a bad childhood or a a rough childhood. So, Salim, and I'm starting to see that we could easily spend hours on this, um, (laughs) but I want to move into yours, Salim. So, avoider was your top saboteur it was also my top saboteur my scoring was a 10 a 10 at a 10 that's in incredible yeah
1: that's that's very very extreme isn't it
0: it is but it <laughs> the is ultimate it's avoider. true it is definitely the, the the avoider and the pleaser were the ones i expected to see rank up mm. there for me mm. the pleaser mm. it's the, it's sort of a close tie for third i guess um but your score on avoider, what, what did you, let me read the avoider for, for those that, uh, it's so a focus on the positive and pleasant in an extreme way, an avoidance of difficult and unpleasant tasks and conflicts. Um, some characteristics of this are they avoid conf, Avoiders uh, uh, avoids conflict and says yes to things that aren't actually desired, downplays importance of some real problems and tries to deflect others has difficulty saying no resists others through passive aggressive means rather than directly loses self in comforting routines and habits procrastinates on unpleasant tasks a few of those rang for sure true for me how about how about for you salim that's that is me that is exactly
1: who i am (laughs) um I, i was i was saying earlier that you know the the theory of the saboteurs um I thought was a really good theory. and um and I suppose the reason why I say that was because uh, in of the nine um what what were these called the the associate saboteurs uh, uh, you know next to uh, next to the accomplice accomplice, accomplice saboteurs, saboteurs right yeah. the judge is the num- is the main saboteur
0: uh, yeah, he the judge uses these saboteurs right. it's like he's the he's the the master of ceremonies of all these saboteurs <laughs> the uh the the master of disaster,
1: um, yeah. So if I were actually to rank all of my saboteurs myself, I probably come up with the same result that um, that the assessment gave mm-hmm. me. And um, my top uh, my top three were avoider uh, and then hyperrational and pleaser uh, and hyper vigilant was was fourth. Uh, and I totally agree with with that result it, it is exactly who i am of avoider uh in the sense that i i do not like conflict uh or i don't like conflict if i can avoid it <laughs> uh which i guess is the is the yeah. is the theme here and uh i will um, i will procrastinate i will leave things to the last minute if i if i can because I, i'm i'm the kind of person who just thinks well you know I could do it at the last minute and still get it done. Uh, there's some. It's it's not a good thing at all. But it's just some some confidence somewhere that's completely unfounded. Uh, I guess it's it's worked okay so far, uh, which is why I was thinking. Mm. You know, maybe these saboteurs aren't as bad as they actually uh, sound. Even though I know, like, procrastinating is is it is not not good at all. Um, the hyper rational. Aspect completely agreed with as well uh, as my number two. I am. I try to rationalize everything. I try very hard not to let my emotions drive my thought process and and my actions. And where it relates to the past, uh, my parents were actually fairly emotional people and they had a lot of emotional discussions and arguments and, and i would uh hear all that as a child and think wait like you know that doesn't make sense or i i there there are better ways to have that discussion and and, and part of that was because my parents were uh, of different uh, cultures and, and nationalities my, my mom was japanese my father was was, was egyptian and, and there was always going to be that in in any international or or multicultural family you're gonna you're gonna have that um you're gonna have these sort of clashes or, or, or disagreements that seem like they can be resolved in a fairly smart and rational way At sometimes some somehow they don't and and i saw that growing up as a, as a child and, and always thought to myself i don't want to be that i want to be super rational i want to uh get rid of all emotion from, from discussions and from conversations and just really focus on the, the rational element of, of everything. Uh, just rationalize everything. And uh, that's really stuck with me. And I really found that these, these results really reflected who, who I am as a person, interestingly.
0: Hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that too. you're very the very personal <laughs> experience. <laughs> yeah. I know we're all on, we're on the couch here, I guess. We're, on, we're, we're all on, on the couch <laughs> <laughs> with Dr. Luby. <laughs> well, I I mean, I guess I got to lie on the couch a bit too. Yeah, uh, yeah, not, uh, yeah absolutely. So the the avoider your heart. Yeah, number 1 for me, the avoider at 10 score it. I mentioned it's um and, and one thing I will say is that he he also mention he, he talks about how often the intent behind these saboteurs and what we're trying to get out of it by, by having you know by pleasing people or by avoiding conflict actually produces the the, the opposite in many cases. And when I think about that, uh, it it absolutely rings true. So, the avoider tries to, has difficulty saying no. Absolutely. One of my strongest uh, traits is difficulty of of saying no. Avoids conflict, says yes to things that aren't actually desired. Yeah, because it's easier. And I don't disappoint if I say yes versus no. The passive-aggressive part. Not so sure about that. Has difficulty saying no. Resists others through passive-aggressive means rather than directly. I think if I explore that a bit more, maybe I would see some more patterns around that. Um, Loses self in comforting routines and habits. Oh my God, absolutely. Procrastinates on unpleasant tasks. Yeah, that couldn't be more true. I will will slide over and if I'm getting something uncomfortable I don't want to deal with, that's when I'll like go start, you know... Um, surfing the internet or pull out a book or listen to a podcast oh, yeah. get out of the that's get so, out of the place that's so me too that's so me <laughs> i'll just decide you know what i need to go for a i need to go pick something up at the store that'll give me 20 minutes in the car i can listen to the tim ferris podcast or something or or listen to a repeat of one of my own episodes <laughs> i'm always searching for some way to get get away from an excuse it. Um, yeah yeah so, as far as the child piece, there was some navigation within my own home around avoiding and and pleasing, you know, in order to, you know, I didn't have a, I had a good childhood, a very good childhood, loving parents, supportive, but conflict in our house was not generally public. Like, so, I would say, and when it was, it was scary. Like, oh my God, mom and dad are arguing, maybe they're going to get divorced. Um, which is very different than how we've tried to be in our house. Like My wife will always say, because I will say to her, no, this conversation, we need to like wait till the kids are asleep or let's have it in the car when we're by ourselves. And she's like, no, the kids need to hear conflict. They need to hear us have a disagreement and work it out. Um, whereas in my family conflicts were taken behind closed doors and and you generally didn't um, hear too much, except when when I would look for it. Like I was was one of those kids who was always behind a corner trying to over, like eavesdrop on my parents, trying to gain insights and information about what was happening behind the scenes because it wasn't generally open. And my father comes from a super conservative background. Uh, still conservative to this day. Um, open discussions around sex. Forget it. Like we all my learnings were in the schoolyard. So um, <laughs> wait, what school did you go to? I missed out.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, it was it was the things that your kids would tell you, and you would be like, "Oh my God, no ways!" And then you'd pull a closer friend aside and say, "Is that really what happens?" <laughs> it's like. Um, because I didn't feel that my parents were a place I could go for that kind of information. So, um, yeah, lots of stuff in The Avoider absolutely rings true for me. Um, but I'm enjoying this course as a way to... In in the course, you, you get opportunities to do these exercises. So, you every day there's three exercises you do. They're about two minutes each where you... It's a bit of a meditative thing. You close your eyes and you think through an experience you had, or you think through a future experience you might have where one of these saboteurs might get enabled. Like, for instance, if you have meetings for the day, you can think of ahead of those meetings. And are there a situation in there where you may, the avoider saboteur might rear its ugly head? And in my job, I'm dealing, and all of our jobs, we're always, we're dealing with other people generally and And the ability to and to, or or to look ahead and say oh there 's a meeting I have later today with an individual who I maybe have challenges with and i 'll the avoider saboteur will be sitting right up there on my chest, protecting me don 't go down that road don 't don 't ask those questions don 't try to delve into why there 's an issue just agree nod uh, easy is for me to to fall into that trap so what i like about the the course is that you get this opportunity to think ahead of and and to notice when the judge is acting up and the best analogy that they have is the if you think of the judge like putting your hand on this on a hot stove or the way that the judge can really wreak havoc is by when you put your hand on the stove you don't take it off you just let it continue to burn your hand the healthier thing is when you get an avoider feeling or hyper vigilant feeling, feel it for that second when it burns the hand, just and then lift it off. Right? It's like okay, there it is. Identify it, label it, as he says. Um, these are neural. These are neural pathways that have been created over forty nine years of my life mm-hmm. that don't just get reversed in. By thinking, oh, I won't think that way. You have to actually train the brain to approach these things differently. And that's what this course generally is training you to do is through these exercises, trying to reprogram those neural pathways that it doesn't just go to the instinctual like, oh my God, I've got to be hyper-rational or I've got to please here or I've got to avoid or whatever your saboteur is. So,
2: yeah. If I may, I mean, on that on that very topic, you know, from the standpoint of reprogramming and, and working through the way that you've actually been, been handling or processing these things in the past, you know, it makes me think of how a lot of creatives, you know, especially writers and musicians, they'll put themselves up against a deadline and they'll oftentimes say, like, that's where my creativity comes out or that's you know, mm-hmm. when I ratchet up the pressure, that's mm-hmm. when I can really, you know, I know I have to deliver. I know I have this deadline, these artificial, you know, deadlines that we create for ourselves by procrastinating, by pushing back against these things. And I think a lot of times it's just it's a self-narrative that we create, you know, saying, like, yeah, you know, I can really deliver, I can really handle it when I'm when I'm in that intense mode but you don't really have a choice. <laughs> you, you know, you're, you're putting yourself in that position. You no longer have a choice. You have to deliver. That is your job. That is your personal responsibility or whatever it is that you have to do. Yeah. So to say that you couldn't do it otherwise just is, is, is a farce. I mean, it's, you're basically, you're, you're, you're giving up before even actually trying to, to do it maybe in a healthier way. And, and I, I know I've, I've been guilty of this at times too, you know, of going down this path of, of putting myself up against the deadline and, and, and and insinuating to myself that, you know, I I can be more creative in this moment, but is that really true? I mean, when you're really in that kind of intense, almost fight or flight to use that phrase again, type of, type of framing, I mean, you're not really going to be at your most creative. You're not really going to be at your, at your optimal. You're just doing the best with what you have in that, in that moment.
0: Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. There's a great quote by a guy named Samuel Johnson, who's like Mm. a quote machine. And I think it's attributed to him. And that is that all important thought arises from leisure. My biggest thoughts, they're not when I sit down at a table and think, oh my God, let's have a great thought right now. David Allen created a system called getting things done, which is all about mind like water, that the best place you can be is in a sort of karate-like stance, you know, ready for anything. Come an angle from over here, something from over there. And he uses a martial arts reference in here, actually, that you're not going to be able to beat up six bandits or whatever um, who are trying to attack you from multiple angles. If you're going like, ah, like if you're going crazy, you're going to get yourself killed. So the way that you deal is get approached from left, parry that blow Turn to the right, parry that blow. It's going to be in a methodical way. It's not going to be in a crazy maker kind of way. This episode is brought to you by Pace Painting. Pace Painting, serving all your painting needs, whether commercial or residential. Reach Pace Painting at paintwithpace at gmail.com or via their Facebook page, Pace Painting Inc. Or call Peter at 289 356 7744. Paint with Pace. Well, we should move on. We've um, we wanted to talk a little bit quickly about that Think Week, and probably not going to do it justice. But let's just let's just talk about it for a sec. So, the so Bill Gates takes a week, I think, a year where he holds himself up in a cottage or a cabin somewhere. Very no connectivity to the internet. He's got a. It's a fairly minimalist space with a with a book or a notebook. I think he brings us some books along with him. He's basically disconnected from the outside world, but he uses this opportunity to to think, hence the, the term think week." And we were thinking, between the three of us, what if we could take the results of something like this, or some other insights we have about ourselves, and could we hold ourselves up and really take time to think through some of this stuff, or is this just... You know, for a couple weeks, we'll read about this, see the value, nor not see it, and then just push it off to the side and move on with life. What about having a think week for you guys? Would would work or not work?
1: Well, I mean, funny. You, I mean, you, you were just saying that you get some of your some of your best thoughts when you're relaxed and uh, when mm. you're not under pressure and wouldn't a th- something like a Think Week be absolutely perfect for something like that? To just be able to totally disconnect from the world and kind of just relieve yourself of all worries and stresses, and just uh, get into a like a like a zone and uh, leave yourself with your I guess, you, you know, with with your thoughts and your mind wide open I guess to to ideate and and create that' would be amazing I mean I wish um, we all had the the kind of luxury that uh, that Bill Gates has to to be able to do that I suppose we could do that I mean it's not uh, we I, I I guess I don't, I, don't <laughs> I, I don't know Maybe I I suppose I can just speak for myself here but I guess I, I could convince my wife that I just, I want to you know, disappear for a week. Maybe.
2: Mm-hmm. I
0: don't know. <laughs> I'd, I'd need to try. Why, Salim? Where are you going? <laughs> Justin, you were talking earlier when we were prepping about the, and you alluded to it just now, Salim, about the position of privilege potentially that having a Think Week, you know, is much more enabled by perhaps being a billionaire or... Um, Tell us, talk a little bit more about that. Yeah.
2: Kind of piggybacking on what Salim was saying too, and and also talking through the the positive intelligence piece and and what you were alluding to there at the end and how some of your best thoughts have come during these times where you were not having all of these external pressures. It made me think about how many times have I said to myself, or have I heard other people say, I had this great idea when I was in the shower or I had this, thought or whatever right and why is it the shower it's not the shower it's it's quiet it's space it's you're not focused on anything else you're just allowed to freely think or allowing those thoughts to come through and it, it made me think of yes while it is a privilege to be able to take That amount of time, a week of time uh, on your own. Uh, We all have responsibilities professionally, personally, and otherwise. Some of us have children. We all have families in some way, shape, or form, whether it be a spouse and children. We have professional obligations and deadlines to meet and everything else. But if we're going to take a vacation with our family, or if we're going to take a few days or a weekend for ourselves, uh, this priority that we're putting to this it's something that we're trying to tap into something that is true to ourself and to maybe as Salim was alluding to as well, allow a certain amount of ideation and creation to come through. I think it's a wonderful thought. I do think there is there is privilege in, in all of what we're talking about in terms of mm. having the space, the time and the energy to, to work on oneself. There's a lot of people that don't have that. That opportunity. They're maybe working more than one job. Maybe they're a single parent and their plate is full with all of the things that they have to do related to that. Or just in general, they're living in a tough environment, tough situation, or whatever else, and they have to kind of live from moment to moment. So, all of this stuff, everything in this course and what we're talking about in terms of a Think Week, it does it does involve having a healthy framework, a uh, healthy approach <laughs> to one's, to one's life and to, to, um, to improvement and to, to living uh, in, in best inten- intentions, I'll say. So I want to acknowledge that more than anything, because this topic, while something important to all of us and hopefully important to many people, so they, so they can live a, a a more fulfilling life for themselves and for those around them. Um, it's maybe easier said than done for some. And uh, I, I think that uh, while it is a great concept, maybe there's other ways of doing this that would be maybe more authentic to different people in their situations, just as mm-hmm. mindfulness meditation and other things have kind of come into more popular uh, uh popular thought or popular approaches to life. You see it happening in schools at this point as well. Um, I don't see there is, I don't see a block from some variation of this being something that we can all make a part of our weekly or monthly routine that there is something that we're taking a piece. It doesn't have to be a week. It doesn't have to be, we we live full bore for 340 days of the year and, you know, vacation for maybe 10 of those days and then a seven day <laughs> Uh, think week or something like that but you know there could be a variation of this that I think we can make maybe more regularly put into our schedules
0: I'd say the closest to it would be a meditation of some type yeah. you know and I think that's where people might be able to get bite size opportunities to to do that and I think it's, it's probably the most common thing that I hear people are trying to do but just can never seem to make a habit um, whether, and what I like about this course is that most of the things you can either do, he has the two minute reflections that are exercises that you do three times a day. I think about 12 minutes of reflecting and listening, but he has something called the PQ gym, which you can pop into and do two minute, anywhere from two minute to 12 minute exercises of which two minutes is such a, a nice number. Like there's very few times you can't, step away from what you're doing and take two minutes to, to just be meditative in a sense, like um, just to listen to the sounds around you to, to touch something and, and feel it or look at the shape of, of something, you know, something as simple as your, your, your phone or your wallet, like just look at the texture of the case or the grains of the leather for reflect just, just to take a moment and focus on the shades um, I found extremely useful. So, I w- two thoughts before we finish off with our strange news story. Qu- I question, what would or could we be with a Think Week? If we really did get that opportunity to get that five days, seven days, whatever it is, Think Week, to reflect and think You know what could we be? Who would we be? What kind of parent would we be? The next Bill Gates,
1: for sure. (laughs) For sure, I'm
0: gonna be. I'd be a billionaire. Come on. There's something (laughs) in there. Hands down. (laughs) No. There's something there in that, right? You know, the chance to think about vision, your own life vision, your company's vision. Uh, Maybe you come up with an idea, an 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 invention or something. So that's there was that, and then also I think. The meditative thing I mentioned, but also I think we seek some of this in other ways too, like like a guy's trip, you know, get the guys together, go away for a weekend, and party it up and get away from. It. It's sort of a think week filled with beer and and late nights and carousing generally, but it's a bit of a think week variation, maybe, and I've had a few of those not recently, but I think f- fishing could be very
1: therapeutic as well. I love fishing. <laughs>
0: Okay, I'm going to move into my weird news story. We've got only a few minutes here. Um, So, this isn't really a strange news story, but what it is, is um, Google Trends, I've referred to it before in a previous episode, the most searched terms, um, you can can use Google Trends in a lot of really funny and creative ways, actually. This is each state's most searched misspelled words. I had, to, I had to think about what this was actually saying. These are the words by state, and I won't go through every state, that are the most searched when someone types the words how to spell. So, how to spell, uh, as an example, the state of California's most common how to spell, insert word, is separate. Separate. <laughs> Mm. Um, I'll give you the top one in a sec Uh, Other states Most searched words Texas searching for the word How to spell the word Confident (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: Was the second one truck nuts
0: (laughs) Believe In the state of Looks like North Dakota uh, I might be totally wrong. That I that.
1: I and E can always be confusing for yeah, some. <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm
2: sure there's some. I, I'm sure there's some I and E other other results in this one. Oh yeah, for sure.
0: Florida.
2: Wait, wait. Sister,
0: cousin. <laughs> no, nope. alligator. Alligator. This is an outlier for sure because the number of them are the same. But Pharaoh. 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 Like. Like the Pharaoh, like P H A R O A H. That's weird. Pharaoh. Um, Maybe
2: because there's so many old people there that are wondering if they could be buried with their possessions.
0: Ah. Yeah.
2: That I makes sense. No,
0: It makes it's, it's a lot of sense. It's an unusual one. Here's one that I actually get tripped up on now and then exercise. Exercise. Um, spelled E-X. wait, it's
2: spelled E X. Wait, I would like to overlay that with the statistics of obesity in that state.
0: It looks like it could be at, at Georgia. Um, I should mm. send you guys the thing. Cause, um, mm. Yeah, the number or- two
2: search is, uh, is Chick-fil-A locations then. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, the number one misspelled word that was searched for, uh, the common misspelling, uh, the most searched for word was quarantine.
2: Mm.
1: Mm.
0: Quarantine. Quarantine. I I don't know if I can get this out without... So, the most common misspelling of the word, as I guess, you know, as you're putting this in, you don't know how it's spelled, right? So, you're going to put linguist, you know, you're going to sound it out. Um, The most common misspelling of quarantine was corn, C-O-R-N, space teen, (laughs) T-E-E-N.
2: Yeah.
0: Quarantine.
2: I'm I'm hearing the accent as as yeah. you
0: yeah. quarantine quarantine <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah oh my god oh so yes um in Pennsylvania the most sp- misspelled word was coronavirus so a couple related to the COVID nineteen how do you misspell coronavirus that's yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I wish they provided like on quarantine. It was good because they actually wrote out how people misspelled it or how they were trying to sound it out. I guess yeah, I quarantine, don't know. Um,
1: quarantine, and, and corn- coronavirus.
0: Other words making the list were favorite, mm. favorite. Now, were they
2: spelling it British style with the, I? I, good, I spell favorite quote. with a U. Yeah,
0: so do I. But how is it spelled in the U.S. Well, without the no U? U? Yeah. V-O-R. So fa- V-O-R. How do you so can you spell it how you would spell it in the US, Justin?
2: F-A-V-O-R-I-T-E.
0: Okay. Yeah. So that's one, that's one that people did look up a lot. Yeah. Uh which W H I C H Every? Uh commonly misspelled E-V-A-R-Y. Okay, I can't help you on that one. <laughs> um definitely. <laughs> And then s- separate was the other one. So I I,
1: mu- I must say, though, very briefly, there are some times that I'm just typing something up and a very simple word, I don't know, like, like, like witch, for instance, would just really trip me up. And, and I just think to myself, why is it spelled like that? Like, it's. Hmm. I just have, I just pause, I just like, I freak out for a moment, and i like, "Whoa! Like, why are we spelling which like like
0: that? Like, there's there's something like, yeah,
1: there's something I used to wrong
0: really with spell that." W. <laughs> As a kid, I would get corrected on. It. I would put W I C H. Yeah. Because yeah, why the hell is there an H now? Wi- mm. Whip, whip, mm. which, whittle. Like you know, we know because we're familiar with English that wh is very common it almost does have a sound to yeah it. um and of course there are many weird things in in the english language that make no sense you know the word knight or knife with a k like what is that why is k silent it doesn't make any sense at all but i i, I agree just uh, salim that when I feel like, is this just our brains operating in some sort of weird hyperdrive right, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's starting to question it? Like, the reasons why something is spelt a certain way, or are are we, are we, I mean, you have familiarity with several different languages as well. I don't know if that factors in at all, That the fact you can speak Japanese, Arabic, English. Does that trip you up? Do you get a bit of a second- look at things because of that
1: oh yeah for sure
0: absolutely like
1: i i can't explain it but something about those sort of very different languages um come into play when i'm working with one one of those languages and um something just happens to my brain it's like it it just gets fried for a moment
2: well, in English specifically, you know, you just used the example of, of knife and knight with a K-N, right? And I remember the first time I heard the word knish, the, the Jewish snack, that's yeah. basically a filling with dough fried around it, and the first time I heard it was one thing, and then when I saw the spelling, I was like, oh, come on, what about
0: knife and knight? You know, and then you're hearing <laughs> knish. It's like, why don't we say knife and knight? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, certainly could do an episode on word origins, but uh, we are out of time. So <laughs> Unfortunately. it would be interesting to see what you guys do with the positive intelligence stuff from here. I mean, I'm, I'm another two weeks into finishing the course, so I certainly can uh, let everybody know how it goes, like where, where it en- ultimately ends up. There's a lot more to this whole thing um, mm. that I'll talk about maybe a- another time. But guys, thanks for joining me on your Friday night. I will enjoy my own Friday and Friday night a few hours into the future. But as always, it's great having you guys on. Well, from the future. Thanks for
1: having us. uh, It's been a great Friday. So, yeah, thanks for having us.